Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. It's Thursday, April 9th, 2020. Coronavirus is decimating the American workforce. The Labor Department says another 6.6 million people filed for unemployment claims last week, bringing the total number to 16 million over the last three weeks. The Trump administration asked Congress this week to fast-track another $250 billion for small business loans and grants. That package stalled, though, today, as Republicans and Democrats could not agree on what to include. Meanwhile, the death toll keeps rising. Nearly half a million people in the United States have tested positive, and more than 16,000 people have died. We also learned this week that African Americans have been hit harder than any other sector of the country's population. I've shared myself personally that I have high blood pressure, that I have heart disease and spent a week in the ICU due to a heart condition, that I actually have asthma and I'm pre-diabetic. And so I represent that legacy of growing up poor and black in America, and I and many black Americans are at higher risk for COVID. It's why we need everyone to do their part to slow the spread. To try and understand why this is happening, we turn to Representative Karen Bass, a California Democrat who's a former healthcare worker herself and now is chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I know it's a very busy time uh, for for you, uh, but uh, I think we've got some, you know, really important stuff to discuss uh, and uh, appreciate your time. Sure. So this week we've been seeing reports, uh, particularly uh, as as the death tolls continue to mount from the coronavirus pandemic, that uh, the African American community is is particularly at risk and has seen a disproportionate number of deaths. Um, what's your understanding of the of the situation and the data? Because a lot of the the data that is being collected is being done almost kind of ad hoc. There have been a lot of uh, health you know, departments and hospitals that are trying to tally this, but we don't have a uniform uh, set of data we're working from. What, what's your understanding of what we're, what we're all looking at? Well, first of all, I think you uh, have identified the first problem, which is the lack of data. So it is not clear whether the Center for Disease Control stopped collecting data on race or if they have just stopped uh, disseminating it to the public. So we're trying to get to the bottom of that. And all we know so far is about death. But how many African Americans are getting sick? How many are hospitalized? How many are showing up uh, you know, in doctor's offices? So it's not just the death rate. That's all we know now. I will tell you that I am surprised, but I'm not shocked because I am aware of the general health status of the African American population. I worked in the medical field for a number of years. And, um, but I think what is devastating in this time around is the lack of leadership in the beginning from the White House where we could have gotten a handle on this had we been very aggressive in the beginning. And so the Congressional Black Caucus is calling for gathering of the data, the dissemination of the data, but we're also calling for focused, concentrated testing where we see the death rates being so high. In your position as, as chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus, um, what what are you hearing from your your colleagues in the in the Black Caucus about their communities uh, and how and how they're being affected? Being absolutely positively overwhelmed. I mean, just think about the population in uh, Louisiana 
and Chicago, Detroit. So members of the Congressional Black Caucus are absolutely feeling overwhelmed. They are jumping out there in their communities, making sure that people understand the nature of this virus and what we need to do. You know, there is always targeted disinformation uh, directed at African-Americans. And of course, some of the first targeting was telling people they really didn't need to be concerned about this. This doesn't impact black people. You know, we can always look back in the future at where this disinformation came from. But the fact is it's out there. And so we need to aggressively counter it. Just a few minutes ago, I was on the call with over a thousand uh, black leaders. So what the Congressional Black Caucus has, is doing is we have launched a national campaign where we are having telephone town halls, Zoom meetings, whatever vehicle we can with black leaders around the country. And so on next Wednesday, we have a call with faith leaders. On Friday, we have a call with black elected officials. On Monday, April 20th, we have a call with black mayors around the country. So we are on this uh, day and night. And the, the most important thing we need to do is really disseminate the information. Now, I will tell you a whole nother concern that we have from the perspective of the Congressional Black Caucus is people who are incarcerated. They are serving as a petri dish. You know that the deaths are going to be very high. How can you tell people to do social distancing and be concerned about hygiene when you're incarcerated? You have absolutely no control over that. And we know that the hygiene in our prisons is very poor. So we do think there needs to be early release of people, but you need to test them before they come out. And, uh, and I'm very concerned that if that testing doesn't happen, then we will just release people into the community who are infected. And once we get a control of this, it'll just spiral out of control once again. Over the weekend, the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, who's, uh, who's African-American, he, he, he described the situation uh, in, the, in the Black community in, in very personal terms. If somebody like that is, is putting it in such personal terms and, and has the kind of access he has to the president, how can you complement that, uh, like that, those, those sort of efforts? Well, first of all, I can use the exact same personal terms hypertension, pre-diabetic. I mean, again, that's why I said I was surprised but not shocked because I am aware of the overall health status of African-Americans. But one thing, if you, if you study the data, you know, of course, the numbers are exaggerated in people who are of lower wealth, people who are poor. But you can look at the health statistics of African-Americans regardless of their economic status, and you will see disproportionate health statistics. And some of this is because of poor care, and some of it is just the way African Americans are treated in the, in the healthcare system. And having worked on both sides of that system, I understand uh, why this happens. I, I can guarantee you, although this is anecdotal, that when African Americans show up sick, their symptoms are minimized. They're told to go home, just take care of themselves at home. They do that. And then when they get really, really sick, by the time they make it to the emergency room, they're put on a ventilator. And I am sure. Five or six months from now, when we trace this back, that's the pattern that you're going to see. And actually, for the benefit of our, our listeners, uh, if, if you uh, could just go into a little bit of your, your personal experience in, in, the, in you know, healthcare and public health care and so forth, because I think it's, it is very, um, it, it's very relevant in this, in this case. Sure. Well, for a number of years, I was an ICU nurse. I worked uh, in the newborn ICU. I uh, trained, went back to school at USC Medical School and became a PA, a physician assistant. I worked in LA County 
uh, emergency room, which is one of the largest emergency rooms in the country. And I was working in healthcare at the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic when we didn't know why it was caused. We had no personal protective equipment. We didn't draw blood or do anything with gloves during those years. And, uh, and we were very, very scared. So I can relate very personally, especially to the medical people. I was on the front line taking care of patients with AIDS. We didn't even call it HIV then. And we didn't know whether we were being exposed or not, but we knew what our mission was. Our mission was to take care of people. And, uh, and that's what's happening today. And that's why you're seeing, you know, medical workers uh, get sick. So um, I think that we need to draw all of the lessons from this. But this is the United States of America, the richest country in the history of the world. This is shameful. We should have been way more on top of this than we are. One of the things that I've I've been struck with is the, you know, the, the way that, you know, we're scrambling to treat particularly the uninsured um, and, and uh, African-Americans are, are, again, disproportionately un, under or uninsured uh, in, in the United States. Do you think that once we come out of this, once we get past the point where, you know, we're we're just reacting to a crisis, uh, the the immediate crisis of the coronavirus, that this will affect the the debate that we've had recently over uh, universal health care, Medicare for all, uh, things like that? Well, heaven help us if it doesn't. I mean, this is just a perfect example of why, in the richest country in the history of the world, health care should be a basic right. We should view health health care just like we view education uh, K through 12. Um, you know, and, and, and let me tell you, you know, again, what the administration has done by not opening up the enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. So actually is blocking people's access to health care while we are in the middle of a pandemic. Moving forward with the lawsuit around pre-existing conditions. Now you're going to have millions of more people who've been exposed to this virus who will now have a pre-existing condition. To get back just a little bit to the um, to, to the rates of infection among African Americans and and other minorities, um, do you have any indication that the CDC uh, is going to you know be a, a more aggressive in documenting this, or are there are any directives, things like that? Well, I do think they will be more aggressive. That is, if the Trump administration allows them to be. And so we raised it yesterday directly with Dr. Fauci. He committed to being more aggressive. The question is, he can make all the commitments he wants. Will will the president, will the administration allow him to move forward? You know, the administration only likes to talk of race in a very negative way. Congresswoman Bass, thank you very much for joining us uh, today for CQ in Congress. Thank you. Now to Mary Ellen McIntyre, who has the latest on other health policy news. Trump administration and health officials this week appear somewhat more optimistic about the outlook for the COVID-19 pandemic. While they are still urging people to stay home and follow the guidelines for social distancing to slow the spread of the virus until at least the end of this month, they say they are seeing the so-called flattening of the curve in some cases, even as the number of deaths continue to rise in New York, the epicenter of the U.S. outbreak. And they do have concerns about other potential hotspots across the country. Still, officials are starting to consider how they'll begin to reopen the country and jumpstart the economy. They say that, you know, they're making all these decisions based on medical data, but they're starting to consider how they might go about doing that. Two Republican senators have proposed using widespread antibody testing to determine 
who might be able to start going back to work or school because these antibody tests would show whether someone had been exposed to the virus and at least for the short term was likely immune to it. So Republican Senators Lamar Alexander and Roy Blunt are proposing that this test be offered at no cost to all Americans to start to consider who might be best suited to begin kind of the process of going back to work or school. Meanwhile, the Department of Health and Human Services is beginning to distribute some of the $100 billion provided in legislation last month um, for hospitals and health systems in the most recent coronavirus package. The department said this week it would begin to distribute the first $30 billion to hospitals and other healthcare facilities based largely on Medicare data that they have. The department also announced $1.3 billion for community health centers. But it's not quite clear how officials will continue to administer the rest of that provided funding for hospitals and other providers, um, determining the need for funding based on who treats more Medicaid or uninsured patients can make that more difficult. The administration has said that they'll take some of that $100 billion to reimburse providers for care given to uncompensated care given to uninsured patients. Finally, today, Vice President Joe Biden, now the presumptive Democratic nominee for president, proposed lowering the Medicare eligibility age to 60 from 65, where it's currently at today. He said that this was one of his ways of proposing to help workers in the long-term recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. Now, Jason, back to you. That's our CQ on Congress coronavirus special report for tonight. We'll be back on Monday as we'll be off the air Friday. For all the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Jason Dick.